the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Tom Geller, uh, who's written a new book called 10 Steps to Avoiding Foreclosure, Save My Home. Welcome to the uh, show, Tom. Good to be here. Uh, just to start off a little bit with the uh, the dimension of the problem here. Uh, what What is happening with foreclosures? How, how many are there, and, and what's the outlook for them? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't I don't follow the news that closely, so that I I won't be able to spout that many figures because my focus has been pretty much on what happens once people get into foreclosure. Um, the other thing is the information is just so overwhelming. Every month it seems like the news is repeating itself, just inserting different numbers and usually larger numbers. Um, I know that you know it's a problem that's obviously affected millions of people, and one of the ways that you can tell uh, the size of the problem in your particular area is if you look at uh, the percentage of homes that are currently either in foreclosure or in default. Those are two separate uh, parts of the same procedure, but mm-hmm. but if a notice of, of default has been filed, for example, and uh, you know you see there are some hot spots in the country like Las Vegas. Uh, some parts of Florida, some parts of California, um, and and some of those places it's just enormous. Yeah. So let's go into uh, in the first chapter. You have how to understand uh, the the current foreclosure boom. I want to just take us briefly through some of the ways that people got into the situation and why foreclosures are going up so much. Sure. Well. One of the stories that I tell in the book was uh, when I was a real estate agent. I was a, a real estate agent uh, between 2002 and 2004. And um, at that time, of course, I live in San Francisco. At that time in San Francisco in particular, prices were going up with such a hugely high percentage. You know, you were seeing 15%, 20% appreciation year after year. And people had been seeing this since 1998, 1999. And so by the time 2002 or 2003 rolls around, it seemed like a pretty certain thing to buy real estate. And not only a certain thing to, to be able to buy it and make money, but to be able to buy it and make a huge amount of money. Um, and that actually remained true until about 2005. So it wasn't that these people were foolish. Um, but as you get into 2003, 2004, at that point, people had been doing this for you know four, five, six years. And they started making plans based on the amount of money they were going to make. They figured, okay, well, we'll get into this loan. We'll get into this house. We'll sell it in a year. We'll make a lot of money. Then the appreciation stopped. And uh, so those people who had those plans weren't able to meet them. That's one part of the problem with the uh, people who are speculators. The other part of the problem was ordinary people who um, who saw this going on and just wanted to buy a home, but at the same time were being encouraged by the industry generally and by all, the, all their friends around them to buy as much home as they can and even more home than they can. And so as a result, they got into loans that they really couldn't afford, um, and then you know that that just all exploded uh two things happened as i say the the values of the homes didn't go up so they couldn't refinance they couldn't get money out uh the other thing was that their interest rates increased because so many more people were using adjustable percentage rate interest uh, uh rate in many loans. cases below market adjustable rate mortgages right it wasn't just that it was adjustable they were starting way below market and when it went up even to market rates that was a big jump for people Absolutely. I remember seeing a lot of APRs that started at 1.9%, and of course that's a loss leader for the bank. You know, it then goes up to uh, 5.5%, which was the market rate at the time, and then 7.5% or whatever it is. And, you know, that's the one thing that, that a lot of people don't realize is the tremendous amount of difference that interest rates make. Um, and that, that's something I'll talk about more when we, if we yeah. talk about the current uh, market. 
um, that you know a difference in one percent in interest rate is enormous. It can make a difference between like thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollars of your home's value, and particularly on a large amount like a California, but other places as well. One percent on a big right, number right. it really does add up. And then the other thing you talk about is interest-only loans. Talk about those and, and how that's led to a lot of foreclosures. Well, um, there were several products that really encouraged uh, encouraged people to to buy beyond their means, and one of them was an interest-only loan. Basically, uh, you start out owing, let's just say, $300,000 for your home. In a normal loan, uh, what's called an amortized loan, you pay off that $300,000 over typically 30 years. You pay a large amount for interest and a small amount to pay off the principal at first. Um, and then as the time goes on, the principal goes down, more of your money goes towards the principal, and eventually it's all paid off. In an interest-only loan, you're never paying off any of the principal. So if you pay off that loan, if you continue to pay that loan for 30 years, at the end of 30 years, you know what you'll owe? $300,000. Yeah. Um, now, those, those loans are not necessarily evil, but they're not for everyone. They're, they're pretty sophisticated instruments, um, and they were really being marketed to people who didn't completely understand what they were getting into or were counting on uh, the value of their home appreciating. And it wasn't interest-only forever. I mean, typically it's interest-only for like the first five years or something, and then it'll start interest in principle. So, uh, you know, it's a 30-year loan that you have to pay off in 25 years or something like that. There was a variety of things happening. Uh, you're, what you're saying is true, and I think that was more later on, because this really was a, a, a very fringe sort of product at first. It was the sort of thing only sophisticated investors would use. And then at first, I remember the first time I saw an interest-only loan, I went into a place for sale, and um, in San Francisco anyway, they give you a sheet that shows what the home is, of course, and how much it costs and you know, how many bedrooms. Then they will also sometimes be working with a mortgage broker who will present a sheet that says how you will finance it and what it will cost you every month. And the first time I heard of interest-only loans actually in the field was that the sheet had a, a first loan of this much that you pay off in 30 years and a second loan that you never pay off. And the idea was that you would refinance after a few years and everything would be peachy. So at first, from my experience, they were only in the second loans for the, the top 20% of the loan. And then eventually it became interest-only loans for the whole loan, and then, you know. So that's over um, now, right? This is not happening these days um, in many cases. Now, the other thing you talk about is subprime and Alt-A loans. So, tell, yeah. again, tell us what happened there and, and how that's fed into the whole subprime situation. Well, first, if, if I may, I'd like to start off with a bit of a disclaimer because uh, a lot of blame has been put on subprime loans. And really all that a subprime loan is is a loan to a borrower who normally wouldn't get a loan. Um, the, the, the term prime really refers to the borrower and not the loan. Um, the terms tend to be not as good as, as a, a, an A paper, what they call A paper, that is the prime loan. Um, but that's understandable because the borrower is a bigger risk. I am personally not against subprime loans because they're giving uh, a chance to buy a home. They're giving credit to people who otherwise wouldn't get credit. You know, it still is up to the person whether or not to take the credit and to examine the terms and so forth. But um, what happened in this market, getting back to your question, was that more and more people who, who really either shouldn't have had loans or would have had a very difficult time making those loans were able to get the loans. So it wasn't so much that subprime loans were a problem per se. It was just that there were so many of them. And the banking industry basically was counting on the same thing the consumers were. They were counting on the appreciation of the homes and that in a few years everything would be fine and you know these subprime borrowers would have plenty of money and that would be that. Um, but, of course, that didn't happen. Indeed. 
So what you say is the combination of all these things created the perfect storm uh, for foreclosures. Have we had a situation like this before? I guess it was really the, the Depression. We've had something similar, but it really happened having, you know, the numbers I saw recently, 112% increase in foreclosures over, you know, this year over last year for the latest month. Yeah. Can you compare this to any other time in history? Well, I think the depression, the, the depression is an apt analogy. Um, the last times that we had, I think that when, when, I, was, when I was an agent and um, the mantra in the industry was, oh, it's going up, it's always going up. And as I said in the book, I had lunch with a mortgage broker once who, um, who's, who I said to him something about, um, well, when the market starts to sag, and he, he put up his hand and he said, we don't talk about that. You know, let's keep talking. You know, we're always positive. We stay positive, um, and that was really the the uh, the whole sense of the industry. But you know, a realistic person does look back at history and sees the depression. Um, also, sees the early '90s when uh, home values sagged, and sees the sees the '80s when home values sagged tremendously, especially in Los Angeles. Um, but there's a difference. During those times, they weren't having the same sorts of of loan craves that we had this time around. So it's not just a matter of, of home values going down. It's also a matter of, of these loans all being defaulted. Well, um, and got, I think, got you know, credit this time that would not have in the past. Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. And, I mean, if you want to be the, um, uh, an economic student or a political student, you could look at deregulation of the banking industry and all sorts of stuff like that, um, you know, which is a, a bigger topic than I'm qualified to tackle. Perhaps you yeah. can. <laughs> Again, this is Jordan Goodman, your host at the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Tom Geller, who's written a new book called Ten Steps to Avoid Foreclosure, uh, Save My Home. Are you going to five essential truths uh, about the whole process? And if we can start with some of those. The first one is you can't beat math. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, uh, I have to, to admit that I've fallen under this, this foolishness myself, uh, when I, especially when I was younger. I, I hope I've gotten over it now, but... Um, there's this feeling that, that okay, I owe $1,000 a month on my home, and I'm making $800, but somehow we'll make it work. You know? Um, you know, yes, it's true you can cut back here and there, so, but, but that's not beating math. You know, there is, in the back of many people's minds, I think, the belief that math is somehow a, a soft science that can be bent, and it's not. It's an absolute. It's true everywhere in the universe. There's nothing that's true everywhere in the universe except for math. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you can't pay a $1,000 bill with $800, period, end of story. Right. So, okay. The second myth you have is there is no magic bullet. What kind of magic bullets do people expect happen in the foreclosure area? Well, um, I'm, I'm going to suddenly get a job that pays twice as much. Um, I'm going to and, – and I should say that, that there is often a, 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 a vague line between a magic bullet and a reasonable expectation. So it's hard to make an absolute rule like that. You know, there is no magic bullet. I'm suddenly going to make twice as much. Well, maybe you are, and, and maybe you've been training for a job that, that you're expecting to get, and you will suddenly make 12, twice as much. But you have to really balance realistic expectations, not fantasies, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, the other thing is if you're, if you're behind $20,000 in your mortgage, and you have no source for that $20,000, praying for the, the $20,000 source, you know, is going to be of limited utility. Yes, so no praying. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not an anti-religious person, mind you. Um, it comes to but, foreclosures, uh, so that's, that should not be your main strategy, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, exactly. Your third uh, essential truth is uh, you have options. 
Um, so talk about that. I mean, some people think when they get to foreclosure, they have no options. It's, it's kind of over. There's nothing they can do about it. But you're saying there really are a lot of things you can do about it. Yeah, that's right. And um, if I could get a little bit philosophical, I see this in people generally. Um, people who have a fair amount of money and feel trapped in a situation or have a fair amount of equity in their home um, and say, oh, I, I, you know, I can't do this, I can't leave home. Well, you know, what I remind, remind people is that most people who have homes, even those in foreclosure, have some equity in their home. That is, they, they've paid some amount of money in, the value has gone up, and so forth. So, so they have some money to play with. That puts them in a better position than the millions and millions and millions of renters across the country who could lose their home suddenly with no recourse and no money. So, you know, take a look at, at, at the options that you do have. You don't have to sell your property necessarily. You don't have to... Um, you don't have to, you know, take a second job necessarily. These are all things that you can do or might have to do, but, you know, there, you have more than one option, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Almost forced- always. I mean, some, some people are forced into something um, because they have no equity, uh, they have no job, they're disabled, whatever. There's no choice but being foreclosed, in which case, you know, but generally speaking, and, and even that person might have a relative they can talk to who can loan them some money. You know, generally speaking, people have options. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest is Tom Geller uh, with his book called Save My House, My Home About Foreclosures. And we'll be back after this. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk, talk money, money all the time. time. Voice America Business. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk talk money money all the time. time. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Geller. 
who's an author. He's got a new book out called Ten Steps to Avoid Foreclosure, Save My Home. This is a, a book uh, published by Kaplan Publishing. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Good to be here. We were talking about the essential truths uh, in the whole foreclosure process. Uh, the fourth one is benefits should always outweigh costs. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I guess when I'm, I'm trying to think what I was thinking when I wrote that, but I think a lot of times, um, well, as I talk about later in the book, people who are in foreclosure, actually anybody who owns a home, um, is more of a target to scam artists than people who don't own a home because they have this huge asset that can be taken, basically. Um, and again, even if you're in foreclosure, you might have fifty thousand, excuse me, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars worth that can be taken. Um, and the reason that I mentioned benefits should outweigh risks is that all these scam artists are going to be coming to you with proposals, and they may sound good, and a lot of salespeople are very good at what they do. Um, but you have to be able to walk away from it and look at what are the benefits, what are the things I'm going to get out of this, what are the risks, what am I going to lose from this, and, and make, a, make a good judgment. Uh, and in the end, when you, make, when you make a decision about what you're going to do with your home, um, it should be the thing that gives you the most benefits and the least risks. Yeah. Period. I mean, no matter no matter what else there is. Now, I want to make a note about that. The problem with a risk-benefit analysis is that uh, some people will limit that only to money and say, "Well, you know, if I if I um, you know do this, then then I will get all of this money, and obviously that's the best way." But you know, some you also have to look at what's good for your family, what's good for yourself, how you can feel good about yourself. You know, so so benefits and risks are not always quantifiable. But when you put it all together you should get the most benefit and the least risk. And then your fifth truth is you'll have to face difficult realizations and make difficult decisions, uh, but you will end up surviving. Some people go into this whole process thinking they're not going to survive, I guess, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, and you have to think about things. I, I think that originally I'd written a really uh, long section there about... Actually, yes, I, I, it, it got published. I, it's been a while, so I forget what actually ended up in the book. Um, as I mentioned, uh, in the, before the mid-1800s, there was something called debtor's prison, so that if you, uh, if you owed a lot of money and if, if your house was foreclosed on and you still owed money, you could go to jail. You know, that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, when this is all done, at worst, you're going to owe some money in a deficiency judgment. At worst, you're going to be in an apartment. But you know what? Again, there's millions of people in America who lead perfectly happy lives with those things being true. And chances are, you know, for most people... It's not going to be that bad. So, you know, get by it. (laughs) Okay. Again, I'm speaking with Tom Geller, uh, who's written a book called Save My Home, uh, Ten Steps to Avoid Foreclosure. Your second chapter is how to get a handle on your situation, kind of going into this process. So why don't you briefly tell us the ways you can get a handle on your situation if you think you might be going towards foreclosure. Sure. Well, the first thing is get all of your information together and... um, I think that the number one benefit that that most homeowners have from the the process of buying their home, I think, is the big paper folder that they get from the escrow company. Um, if you go into most people's homes, 20 years later, they still have all their papers in that big paper folder, and good for them. You know, they have it all together in one place. Um, if you go around the rest of their homes, you'll see tremendous disarray, especially as far as information is concerned. You know, papers here, papers there, bills here, bills there. And the truth is, not everybody is, is well-equipped to handle paperwork and money and so forth. So the first thing I say, and I know this sounds kind of um, picayune, is get yourself some filing stuff. 
if, if you're not the sort of person who usually files stuff and, and, and organizes stuff on paper, learn how to do it because just having all the papers in one place, in a place where you can reach it and look at it and understand it, is a huge difference. You know, when you talk to the lender and they say, well, how much do you, do you still owe on the loan? What other loans do you have? And you say, well, I'll have to call you back. And then a week later, you still haven't found all your paperwork. You know, it makes them less likely to, to be sympathetic, you know. But yeah. if you can say, I have five credit cards. Here's what I have on them. Here are my plans to pay it off. You know, there's, there's the whole thing. You know, it, it makes their jobs easier. And then you're writing to what's called the loss mitigation department. Is that the part of the uh, bank you should be dealing with? Is that right? Yeah, that's that's the usual title. I mean, you know, they might call it something else, but um, the reason they call it loss mitigation is because if you go into foreclosure, uh, they suffer a loss. I, I said later in the book, I don't remember the exact number, but it's something like $60,000 is the typical amount of money lost by the lender when you go into foreclosure because they have to, you know, repair the home possibly, they have to sell the home, they have to hold the home while all of this process is happening. They have legal fees and so forth. So they don't want to lose that $60,000. And mitigation is just a fancy way of stopping. You know? so, so it's their loss-stop department. They want to talk to you as early as possible. They want to figure something out so they don't lose that $60,000. In fact, I've been hearing that many, many people uh, do not, in fact, communicate with their lenders. I think a number I heard recently was 50% of all uh, foreclosures, the uh, uh, you know, the first thing that happens is the sheriff takes your stuff out into the street, and they really have not communicated because they go into hiding. I hadn't heard that percentage. Um, I mean, I, I believe it, but but wow, that, <laughs> that it doesn't surprise me because uh, you know the human capacity for for uh, for self deception and you know avoiding difficult things is is enormous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's that. Uh, then the next chapter you have is on reworking your income and expenses, and this is basically you're trying to show uh, how, ways you can cut your expenses and increase your income. Or tell us a little bit about what you should do to rework your income and expenses. Pretty, yeah, that's pretty much. And, and again, it it seems sort of strange to have such a such a chapter in a book that that's specifically about foreclosure. You know, and when I first started writing it, I was writing that chapter and I was thinking, you know, does this is supposed to all be about foreclosure, and you know, here I am writing about budgeting. And you know, after writing a, a few paragraphs, I realized, no, this is absolutely essential. I mean, I went through this myself. I, I uh, went through a program. It took me a good two years, basically, to to cut down on my expenses. And you know, I I lowered my own expenses by about thirty or forty percent uh, when I changed jobs. And it's basically, you know, kept me afloat. Um, some of the things that I did was I was uh, I had a very expensive internet service because I was running some servers out of my home. Um, that's the business I used to be in, and, uh, and I decided, you know what, I'm not really in that business anymore. I don't need it. Boom! I saved a hundred dollars a month right there. So there's all um, kinds of expenses you probably have. You probably can cut in various ways. Yes. Right. Right. Exactly. And you know, the biggest thing that I changed is is that I sold my car, and you know, there's there's six hundred dollars a month that I don't have to spend right there. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Know? All right, your next chapter is how to avoid scams in this whole area. Tell us about some of the scams that are affecting uh, people potentially going into foreclosure. Well, uh, I'm actually uh, jumping to that section myself. I list three of the most common scams, and these are all listed on uh, a site called consumerlaw.org, which is uh, the nonprofit National Consumer Law Center. Uh, they had a, a very good article about uh, some of the more common foreclosure scams. Uh, and I'll mention another URL a little bit later, uh, which has some other ones, uh, um, because it's, you know, as you, as you might imagine, um, 
there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat, and there's a lot of different ways to take people for their equity. Um, the first kind of foreclosure scam is is what uh, the National Center uh, for Consumer Law, excuse me, the National Consumer Law Center calls phantom help. That's one where basically you go in and, and they advertise very widely and, and they say, we can help you, we can get you out of foreclosure. And, uh, you know, they get you in, they get your money, and they say, okay, fill out these papers, uh, do this, do this, okay, we'll get back to you. And, you know, then for one reason or another, it just never happens. Um, maybe they, they say that they will deliver something on a certain date, and they deliver that thing, but it turns out not to help. Now, basically, it's just going back and forth. Um, and in the end, you've lost your home and you've lost the money to them. Um, part of the reason that these things work is because people want to believe in a magic bullet. Yeah. They want to believe that somebody else can can flip a switch and then make this all over. And that's basically what they advertise. You know, we can make this stop. Um, the truth is that the number one person who can make it stop is you, the homeowner. Yeah. The person on the outside really can't do as much as, as some of these people are advertising. So that's the first one, the phantom help. Then you talk about the bailout. What are some of the scams that uh, tell, have people say that they're going to be able to bail you out? Well, this is this one is particularly pernicious. It's one where... Um, and, and there's a few different variations, but the one that I describe in the book is basically where you give your home to the scam artist. You, you, they say, look, I'll tell you what, we will, we will buy your home and you can rent it back from us. Mm-hmm. And um, or not so much we will buy your home, but we will take over the payments. You, know, you will be able to continue living in your home, period, end of story. You, know, you, you now owe $2,000 a month. We'll pay that $2,000. You just give us $500 you know, a month or whatever the amount is. And then at the end of a certain amount of time, you can buy the home back from us. Well, as it turns out, not only what they do is they, they take the home. They're not even paying the $2,000 a month. Why should they? They let the home go into foreclosure, and then they take off. You know, meanwhile, they've gotten your $500 a month. Um, they've, they've stripped the home of its equity. They might have taken out additional loans. They might even sell the home. You know, sell the home out from under you, although that's a little bit more difficult while you're living there. But, um, you know, they don't really have to do anything but leave town, and they've made their money. They're getting your home at no cost, basically. Whatever they can get out of it, they, they will before they take off. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, the third one you talk about is paper shuffling. Uh, how does that work? Yeah, I, want, I mean, that one, again, is, is very simple. It's just a matter of... Um, presenting people with a bunch of papers to sign, you know, and, and maybe met, and many of them may be very convincing as to, okay, well, this one is to do a stay on, uh, you know, legal action or whatever, you know, uh, this one filed for your homestead application, all these things that look very good. And then in the middle of there, something uh, in the middle of that stack is something that says you're signing your home over to me or some other thing, which basically uh, gives the scam or possession of the home or its equity. Um, the reason that that works, and I can speak of this personally, is that during the boom especially, I worked in an escrow office for a little while, and I was a notary public, and I did a, quite a lot of loan signings. And I was always encouraged, get in there, get out. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you were doing loan signings as a business, as a notary public, you wanted to do four or five a day if, if that was your full-time living. Um, and you can't do that if you're spending two or three hours, if you're letting the person read all the paperwork. And furthermore, and I, I fault the escrow companies for this, the borrower usually never saw the paperwork until they walked into that office. So yeah. there was no way that they could read all the paperwork. It was impossible. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the, the escrow officers themselves, often they would do the signings, and they were incredibly busy. So I didn't, you know, I, 
I felt bad for the, the borrowers most often. If I were a borrower at the time, and I would say this to anyone now, ask to get the papers ahead of time. If they won't, get, if they won't give them to you, tell them. When I come in to sign, I want to sit alone with them for two hours you know, and read the papers. Yeah. You, what you're signing matters. Right. A lot of people just get rushed into it, just sign it, yes. Yeah. Okay. Then you say you should stay open to good, legitimate deals, avoiding these scams. What are some of the good, legitimate deals that are available out there if you're heading this direction? Well, <clears throat> some scams have to do with refinancing. You know, they, they take you out of one loan and they put you into another loan, and, and then uh, that loan turns out to explode in your face because it's an adjustable rate loan or it has huge fees or, or you know, whatever it is. Um, but the fact is, refinancing is how a lot of people get out of foreclosure. Um, if you've owned your home, let's say, for five years, and, um, and now the payments are too much for you, well, you know, you've paid off five years of principal, and while it's not a lot, you might, interest rates are still low, so you might be able to get a deal which you know, basically resets the loan and gives you another 30 years to pay it off. Um, and what that means is that every month you're paying a lower amount and you can avoid foreclosure that way. Um, that's especially true if you've been in your home for more than, say, 10 years because you know, you've paid off more of your principal and values have supposedly gone up and, and so forth. So <clears throat> my point is not to avoid all sorts of refinancing, um, but just to be careful. You know, understand the terms and go back to that principle of benefits should always outweigh risks. We're going to have to take a break here. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Tom Geller. His new book is called uh, Ten Steps to Avoiding Foreclosure, Save My Home. And we'll be back after this. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk, talk money, money all the time. time. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Sell, buy, buy, sell. All we talk about is money. Talk to an expert. Call now. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Tom Geller, uh, who's written a new book called Save My Home, Ten Steps to Avoid Foreclosure. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you. Um, before we get back into it, just tell us briefly about uh, the, the website and uh, the, the publisher, ways people can find out more about this book. 
Oh, sure. Well, the website is savemyhomebook.com. Remember to put the book at the end. And uh, I've tried to set it up so not only is there a lot of the information that's in the book, but also a place where people can talk to each other and figure out, well, what's actually working there out in the field. Because if you've been following the news, you know there's all sorts of legislation and business changes, and you know there's no way that a book can keep up with that. And I think the best way for people to help each other is, uh, is to talk to each other. So, um, so it's a good place for people to go um, who are in foreclosure or, uh, or, or avoiding it even better. And again, that's savemyhomebook.com. Very good. We were talking about uh, some legitimate deals for people who, so they've avoided the scams. Uh, the first one you talked about was refinancing. The next one you talk about is selling your home for fair value. Um, how is that possible in many cases? If there's foreclosures going on, there may be whole neighborhoods that this is affecting. It may, may be difficult to sell that home. It's not impossible. How do you well, say people can sell it? You're absolutely right. Um, it's not as easy to sell a home as it used to be, but there was, always, there was something that we said when I was an agent, that everything sells at the right price. I mean, even if the whole neighborhood is up for sale, if everybody else is asking $200,000 and you're asking $150,000, as long as enough people are seeing that price tag, which is another part of the equation, then, then you're going to sell before your neighbors are. Um, now, having said that, there are places where, where real estate essentially has no value. There are neighborhoods in Detroit where... where um, I don't know if you've looked into that, but, but you can buy ramshackle falling down houses on you know, decent plots of land for less than a used car because yeah. they have no value. But you know, that's obviously most places real estate has some value, and it is possible to sell at the right price. Okay. And then you talk about selling certain rights to your home. How would that be, work if somebody wants to afford, avoid foreclosure? Well, that's actually a fairly rare thing that you would sell any kind of right in your home except for renting space. And you know, maybe that's possible. Um, I have a friend who uh, who works two jobs and is always, you know, scrambling to get money at the end of the month. And um, she's actually a renter, but but she has a, a pretty nice apartment. It's you know a twelve hundred square foot apartment, which in San Francisco is nothing to sneeze at. And um, she could take in a, a roommate, but she just you know she she doesn't want to consider that. It would be too great a change in her lifestyle. And she's made her cost benefit analysis and decided that that the cost of having somebody else there is greater than the cost of having that second job. Well, when you're in foreclosure, maybe that equation will change, and you'll decide, you know what, we've got a three-bedroom house. Um, the two kids can share a bedroom or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is. Um, I want to get back to selling your home because the reason that I mentioned selling your home at a fair value is one of the first things that will happen uh, when you get a notice of default uh, is that you're going to get all sorts of letters and phone calls from uh, speculators, investors who are going to want to buy your home. And they really are going to want to buy your home. They, they will actually give you money and um, take over the loan payments or get a new loan or whatever has to happen. Um, the thing is, they're looking for a bargain. They want to buy it at least 20% below market value. That's not necessarily bad. If you really need to get out fast or if uh, you're afraid you couldn't get as much money elsewhere, then you know that might be the thing to do. But if you have the time, why not get as much money as you can? You know, so why not go for the, the fair market value? Yeah. Well, in some cases, <laughs> it's kind of hard with, with home sales and prices down a lot these days. But uh, you can certainly right, right. Okay, your next chapter, uh, and again, the book we're talking about is called Save My Home, uh, 10 Steps to Avoid Foreclosure with a website of savemyhomebook.com, is uh, calling for help and uh, foreclosure advisors. Why don't you briefly go through some places that you can call to get help. You, you start with the lender being the first place. Yes, yes. 
And actually, <laughs> if you have the time, it's not necessarily the first place that you need to call um, if you're nervous about what you're going to say and so forth, because there are nonprofit organizations that, uh, that can help you out. And uh, the one that I always keep in mind is uh, NeighborWorks, NW.org. And there's a number of these organizations, and I can never remember all of the different, uh, all of the different ones, but if you just go to NW.org, that will, will help uh, lead you to the right one. A lot of uh, cities have what's called a credit counseling service. Uh, they used to be more for credit cards, and I think they still are, but they may be able to help you get your, your expenses under control, for example, um, make it so that you, you don't have to call the lender. But ultimately, if you go through all of this and you realize, you know, let's say, for example, you've lost your job, you've been hit by a car, you know you're not going to be able to pay your mortgage for the next few months, just call the lender, you know. Um, they want to avoid that loss of $60,000 or however much it's going to cost to take your home in and then resell it. So, so they would rather renegotiate with you because the impression you get from people is that the lenders are being very tough on people today and not really negotiating, not really giving much relief of any kind. But you're saying that's not the case. Well, ironically, I, uh, I, ironically, I, I would um, expect them to be more lenient now than they would have been five years ago, because five years ago, if they foreclosed on a property, they knew they could sell it quickly. You know, but if they foreclose on your property and they take it back in, they're going to have to sell it in a down market. You know, um, And furthermore, they're the, they're the ones who are going to be taking in these whole neighborhoods of places that they can't sell. And it, it's not quite so obvious to people who aren't in the real estate industry, but it's a lot of work to sell a home. Um, you know, there's the marketing aspect. It might need some sort of fixing up. Um, the legal aspect is huge. Uh, the paperwork, the waiting. You know, when you have a half million dollar asset and you're holding it for six months, that's you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars worth of just holding expenses. So you know, it's... they have a lot of incentive to deal. Is what you're saying? Exactly. exactly. So the first thing you say you can do is renegotiate your loan and get a payment deferral. Is that something that's pretty common today? It is, especially if you can show them a plan to say, uh, you know, this is clearly going to change in three months, and then I can clearly start paying you again. Not everyone can say that, of course, but if you can, you'll be able to get a deferral probably. I mean, if, if, you, if you had somebody who was paying you off, who, who you'd loan money to, and they were paying you off, and they'd been paying you off just fine for five years, and they said, listen, I just broke my leg. Can you give me three months? You'd say yes, right? Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I sure would. Yeah. They'll do that. And then the next one you say is payment plan modification. What are some ways that lenders can modify payment plans? Well, a payment plan modification is very much like a refinance, except that it's uh, except that it's done with the same lender. Basically, you stay in the same loan. Um, one example of this is for people who have adjustable rate mortgages that suddenly exploded, and the lender knows that. Uh, it, you know, they they do their math and they figure out what their cost benefit analysis is. And at a certain point, they know that you don't. You might look at their seven percent interest rate and say, you know what, I can get another adjustable rate mortgage at your at your neighbor down the street for three and a half percent. I know that one's going to explode in a few years, but right now I need that three and a half percent. Well, maybe your your current lender will say, okay, you know what, we'll bring down the interest rate a little bit. Maybe we'll extend the term of the loan so that you know you pay it off toward the end. You know, stuff like that. So there are things that they can do. The thing is, they don't want to lose your business. They make loans for a reason. They make loans because you're paying off that interest over time. Yes. Okay, and then you talk about a, a full escape. That is, is possible as well? Some lenders will let you off the hook completely? Well, I'm looking to find that section to see what exactly I said. It's on page 84 um, you're talking about. Okay. 
I'm sorry. There, there was so much information that went into this that sometimes I have to remember exactly how did I put that? What did I say? Well, this is what you call um, a deed in lieu, for example. Oh, a deed in lieu. Yes, yes. Um, a deed in lieu is typical if, uh, well, it's, it's a good deal for you if you don't have any equity in the home. Let's say that you bought your home last year for $200,000. Uh, or I should say you, you bought your home last year for $200,000. You um, took out a $180,000 loan, so 90%. And in the meantime, the values have gone down to $180,000. And since it's only a year ago, you haven't paid off that much of the principal. So basically, you owe $180,000 on a $180,000 loan. You lose your job, you break your leg, whatever it is, you can't pay it. Um, <clears throat> the lender might, might just accept if you say to them, listen, if I just give you the deed, you can take the home back, you know, it'll be resold and so forth. You can avoid all of the expense of the foreclosure. Um, because not only is taking the home back expensive, but going through the paperwork and doing the waiting and all of this of the foreclosure is expensive to the lender. So they might just say, okay, fine, we're done, you're out, have a nice day. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't do that if you have a lot of equity in the home, obviously, because then you're just giving away your equity. But if you're underwater, this is when that makes sense, then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Last numbers I heard, there are about 10 million Americans who are underwater. Their house is worth less than they owe on their home these days. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Um, the tough time to decide whether to do a deed in lieu is, let's say that in the, in the last example, um, your home is worth $200,000 now, and you're at about $170,000, $180,000 uh, um, of, of a loan. So you've got like $20,000, $30,000 worth of equity. Then the tough decision is, if I try to sell the home, will it cost me more than twenty dollars or $30,000 to sell it? And will I actually get that $200,000? Because you never know what a, a home's going to bring in until after it's sold. The asking price is irrelevant. What really matters is the selling price. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a gamble. It's a gamble yeah. when you're cutting it that close. And a lot of people, even if they have a little bit of equity, like twenty dollars or $30,000, will do a deed in lieu because it's just too much of a gamble. If they do the deed in lieu, they know they're not going to lose any money. If they try to sell it, they might lose money. I'm going to go to another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman, your host at The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Tom Geller, uh, who's just come out with a book called Save My Home, uh, 10 Steps to Avoiding Foreclosure. He has a website about this, which is savemyhomebook.com. It's published by Kaplan Publishing. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now toll free. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. 
Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Tom Geller, uh, who's come out with a new book called Save My Home, 10 Steps to Avoid Foreclosure. Uh, He has a website around this, which is savemyhomebook.com. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you. Good to be here. We'd like to talk a little bit about the government programs that are available. Uh, there's obviously a lot of attention in this whole area of preventing foreclosure. Uh, I think there was a recent bill, the Mortgage Foreclosure Prevention Act or something like that. So tell mm-hmm. us briefly about some of the programs that are out there that can help people you know, either avoid or get through foreclosure in the best way possible. Sure. Well, I'll tell you one thing that won't help help you, and excuse me if I get a little bit political here, but what won't help them is that new Foreclosure Prevention Act, which uh, actually helps people who want to buy their homes and doesn't help people who are in foreclosure. So, mm-hmm. you know, so not everything that comes out of, of the government with a name like, uh, you know, Foreclosure Prevention Act actually prevents foreclosure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it sounds um, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's a whole other discussion if we wanted to get into it, but, but let's stick with things that do help. Yeah. Um, the first place to, <laughs> excuse me, the first place to go is the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development. And they're at uh, hud.gov.gov. Um, they have a number of programs. They're the ones who, who oversee uh, the Federal Housing Administration, the FHA. Um, many people got their homes with FHA loans, which are a sort of loan guarantee to the lenders. Um, again, a, a fairly complicated subject we don't have to get into here. But, but basically, the, housing and, the Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, oversees a lot of programs, and even if they don't oversee them, they tend to link to a lot of programs that will help you. Um, the, the HUD.gov site has uh, links to local resources as well. Um, there's a saying in, in the industry that all real estate is local, and it really is true. You know, laws vary not only from state to state, but from county to county. So the best thing to do is go to the HUD.gov site, uh, look up your state, and find uh, agencies near you and give them a call and, and see what sort of programs they have. Uh, now, I do have to warn you, I came across a story, and I, I posted about it on my website, uh, SaveMyHomeBook.com, that these agencies are suddenly overwhelmed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that was something that I hadn't taken into account as much when I wrote Save My Home, uh, just, just how much they were going to be affected by, by the current situation. But even if you have to wait a couple days to talk to them, they're better than, than going to a lot of the, the folks on the Internet who, who are frankly hucksters. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it, it, it's hard to tell on the Internet, you know, who is a huckster and who isn't. Then you talk about direct assistance. Uh, what are some, some forms of direct assistance people can get? Well, 
<laughs> There's not that much, to be honest. Uh, I, I divide uh, government assistance into four categories. Uh, the first is regulations, such as the Foreclosure uh, Prevention Act, um, credit uh, credit legislation, and so forth. Basically, the government doesn't want you to get ripped off. Uh, the second form is advice, uh, and that would be the sort of thing that you might get through the HUD.gov site, either from government agencies or non-government agencies. Um, the fourth one, I'm going to skip over direct assistance. The fourth one is called indirect assistance, and that's the sort of thing where basically the government uh, pays a lender to make sure that, that they don't foreclose on you. You know, you're getting a benefit, but you're not actually getting the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest thing that, that they have for direct assistance is tax breaks. Um, and I don't go into any great detail on those in, in the book because it, it is a complicated subject and one uh, best left for, for a tax expert. But there is one thing that people do get. Uh, homeowners get that renters don't, which is that the interest that they pay on their mortgage is tax deductible. That's an example of direct assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that also strangely suggests that you should be paying a higher interest rate in a way because more will be deductible. I mean, the math doesn't work out, but, but um, you know, it's sort of an interesting little, little quirk of math there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few regulations around these things. What are some of the key regulations people need to know that are designed to protect them in the foreclosure process? Well, the number one is, the number one thing is found in the papers that you signed when you actually bought the home. It's called the Truth in Lending Act, uh, or Regulation Z. Um, it's from the Code of Federal Regulations. And you might remember when you, when you bought your home or refinanced it, you got this sheet of paper that at the top had a little, a little grid that said, this is how much is being loaned to you. This is how much you're going to pay for it over the course of the loan. Um, you know, this is the interest rate and so forth. And that's a really useful piece of paper because, for one thing, people who go in, they say, oh, we're buying this $200,000 home. And then they look at that and they say, we're going to pay $500,000 for this when 30 years is all done. Yeah. Oh, that's the, that's the joy of interest. <laughs> um, that sheet is actually being redesigned. And uh, I've seen the redesign. There have been some complaints about it, but I really do like the redesign. Um, that will protect you because uh, if you have any questions about your loan, you can go straight to it. Um, if there's any dispute with your lender, you can go straight to it. They're the ones who drew up that paperwork, and they have to live by it. Yeah. Uh, your final chapter is uh, facing the foreclosure process itself. and We've only got about three minutes to go or so here, but maybe just briefly go through uh, you know, the best way to go through what's a very difficult process for people. Sure. Um, the first thing is, once again, go back to your five essential truths. Um, you know, look at what costs and benefits. Don't expect a magic bullet uh, and, and so forth, because it is going to be a time of high pressure and high emotion. Um, technically speaking, there are two kinds of foreclosure. There's judicial and non-judicial. Judicial means basically the court takes the home and sells it off. Non-judicial means that a trustee takes your home and sells it off. Uh, the state I live in, California, is mostly non-judicial, and that mostly has to do with whether you have a mortgage or deed, in, deed of trust. The important thing in either case is uh, to look at what your state regulations are, and I list those at the back, because in some states, for example, if you owe money on your home after it's sold, it can be collected. In some cases, it can't be collected. It's what's called a deficiency judgment. So look at your state regulations. Okay. Uh, so you, you do that first, and just, again, what are some of the steps involved uh, in going through you know, foreclosure that people should know about? Well, the first thing that you'll get is what's called a notice of default, um, which basically says you, know, you, you haven't been paying your money. Um, then you'll get some sort of paperwork, and excuse me, I, I, 
I uh, don't have these steps exactly memorized, and they do vary from state to state. But basically, you'll, you'll get a notice of sale that says, okay, you've been in default for too long. We're going to sell off your home. Uh, and then you basically have the sale date, and it's gone. Um, however, after the sale, sometimes you have what's called a right of redemption for a period of time, as long as a year or two, uh, when you can come back and say, okay, here's all the money, here's all the fees, I get my home back. And during that time, you can continue to live in the home because, uh, well, it, again, it varies from state to state exactly uh, the way it works. Um, so you have options even after the foreclosure has happened if you're in a state that allows such a thing. Yeah. So you go into this in much more detail in the last chapter. And then uh, you do say another possibility uh, is bankruptcy, right? What yes, are the pros and yes. cons of bankruptcy, particularly under the new bankruptcy laws now, <laughs> in, in you know, using that and... Do you get uh, um, some protection from getting your home foreclosed on if you go into bankruptcy? Well, it depends on which kind of bankruptcy you have. There's, there's Chapter 7 and Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Um, chapter 13 bankruptcy is sort of bankruptcy light in a way. Um, it's where you lighten your debt load and get creditors off your back, and you're allowed to pay off a certain amount. And after a few years, basically, it, it's just sort of dismissed. Um, in those cases, you can keep your home. Uh, chapter 7 bankruptcy is really more of an atom bomb, and it's just saying, okay, look, there's no way I'm going to pay this off. Just just wipe the slate clean, and that's it. However, you're going to lose your home in that case. However, I include that as, as, a, as an option because for some people, if they have a lot of other debts, lots of credit cards, hospital bills, and so forth, a Chapter 7 bankruptcy you know, will, will wipe out those things as well as the home problem. So that may be a solution for a lot of people. And Particularly today, though, as I understand, it's very hard to get a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. A lot of people who used to in the past are not going to be forced into 13 because of the uh, bankruptcy law that went into effect in 2005. It's just much harder to get a liquidation of Chapter 7 than it had been before. That's correct. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They, they're doing what they call means testing, for one thing, which is basically... Um, they, they make you go down to, uh, you know, at least the middle class standard of living. Um, the time was before that, that, that fairly rich people could, could go into Chapter 7 bankruptcy and continue to live fairly richly. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. But, but then again, uh, if you are, if you are uh, below middle class or in lower middle class, uh, you, I think it's at the median income point. That's where they start doing the means testing. Um, Below, below that, you can, you can still do Chapter 7. But again, you don't want to if you can avoid it. All right. Well, in the minute or so we have left, uh, again, I want to tell people that if they're interested in this whole process of uh, home foreclosure and avoiding it and making the best of it, uh, Tom's, uh, Tom Geller's new book is uh, called Save My Home, uh, Ten Steps to Avoid uh, Foreclosure. Uh, his website is savemyhomebook.com. Uh, so what would be your, your final comment, Tom, on, on the best way to navigate what's clearly a very difficult process? Uh, be honest. <laughs> be honest with yourself, I, I, I mean to say. Um, as I say, you're going to have to make a lot of difficult decisions, but, you know, you'll have to, you'll have to say some things that maybe you've been avoiding, and there is some benefit to that. I, I mean, I don't mean to lighten the, the difficulty of being in foreclosure, but, you know, good things can come out of it. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Tom. It's been a really fascinating interview, and uh, certainly the listeners can uh, get your book and find out more about this. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.